Come with Today's me. We're going to Silicon Valley. A long way from Silicon Valley. In fact, a long way from California. In the country of Illinois. And starting in the 1950s, the University of Illinois had been a major player in computing. And not only in supercomputing, where they developed machines like ILLIAC-1 and ILLIAC-2, but also in application research, such as computer music, and certainly later with a lot of the work that was done to give us the World Wide Web. The ILLIAC-4 was designed to be a highly parallel supercomputer designed to work on exceptionally large data sets. And originally it was supposed to have 256 processors that was cut back to 64. It was supposed to be the fastest machine in the world, and it didn't quite live up to that standard. And it was tested, and then something happened. The counterculture explosion of the 1960s led to the desire to get all of the high-speed computers that were being funded by the Department of Defense, and in particular DARPA. And they wanted to get them all onto secure locations because there had been threats against ILLIAC. And uh, there's a story that after uh, Kent State, there was a declaration of a day of ILLIAC-tion uh, protests at the University of Illinois against the ILLIAC-4. NASA had a nearly infinite budget at that point in the 1970, and they wanted it. So they brought it out to NASA Ames Research Center. This is where the Silicon Valley story starts. Dan Slotnick took over the design team originally at University of Illinois, but he came out here to California with it. And it was installed on NASA Ames, running entirely governmental work, doing all sorts of fun things. Um... The primary contracts were Burroughs, which did the hardware, and Fairchild, which provided the chips. And it's a really important machine for that reason. It was a parallel supercomputer. That was incredibly rare. There were 64 processors. This is really the first large-scale use of that. Initially, it was supposed to be $8 million, uh, but with the move and budget overruns, it led to $31 million. The estimate was it would be able to do 1 billion floating-point operations a second, or 1 gigaflop. And it maybe made a quarter of that. But the fact is, it was incredibly unreliable. That it would maybe have half op operational at a time. And there was a sign that we now have at the Computer History Museum that indicated uh, working, not working. And apparently the not working light was more frequent. The ILLIAC-4 did a lot of important work, including being the first supercomputer to be connected to the ARPANET. That's a huge deal, because one of the original ideas for the ARPANET was to share large data sets so that they could be operated on remotely by large, faster machines. Suddenly, in 1981, after 10 years, it was time to retire it. Some say it was the fastest computer in the world at the time. I don't think it ever actually was. 
practically. It did outperform what was considered the fastest machine in the world up until the Cray 1, uh, which was the uh, CDC 7600, designed by Seymour Cray, of course. But it never practically operated to the level where it could really be considered reliably the fastest machine in the world. It was decommissioned in 81 and removed, I believe, in 1982. My dad, at that point, was a firefighter at on Moffett Field, and he was one of the people who was there on the last day uh, to ensure the removal of the system. I was blown away by that when Dad told me that when he visited in uh, 2000. He came to the museum and he saw it and he said, I haven't seen this since we had to figure out how to get it off without without blowing up the building. So in 1982, it was moved. It was moved to the Computer Museum in Boston. And in 1996, when the Computer Museum History Center was spun off of the Computer Museum in Boston, it came back here to Moffett Field, where the museum was. So it started in Illinois, moved to Moffett Field, went to Boston, came back to Moffett Field. This is a well-traveled computer. Parts of Iliac 4 have been on pretty much continuous display as long as we've been here in California. The Computer Museum History Center had uh, an operator's console, a processing element, and one full rack of the, the computing unit. Very large. A lot of little drawers with packages on them. Now we only have one of the processing elements displayed, along with the sign. This is a fascinating piece of Silicon Valley computing history that doesn't get talked about a lot. Because while Livermore, which could be considered Silicon Valley, though it's its own valley really, had massive numbers of supercomputers, supercomputers were never really a Silicon Valley thing so much. Sure, Slack had a very, very fast 360, but Iliac was the cutting-edge supercomputer and was the state-of-the-art at the time. And its influence can still be felt today. Anytime you see a cloud network or any massively parallel supercomputer, which the entirety of the internet runs on, it pretty much all comes back to the Iliac 4. (laughs) 